Well, good morning. It's a delight to be back with you. We got to share a little bit about our ministry a few weeks ago, but otherwise it's been four years uh, since we've been here together. If you ask Lindsay and I what we're each most looking forward to about heaven, you will get very different answers. For Lindsay, she is looking forward to a body that's not broken, a body that doesn't have aches and pains and autoimmune diseases and such like. She would love to just have all of those things gone. After all, we're in our 40s and things are starting to break down. We're not quite as young as we used to be. <laughs> Certainly our bodies are not as strong as 17 years ago when we got married on this platform. So something we're looking forward to. For me, I'm looking forward to things in the realm of travel. Uh, we've traveled a fair bit in the course of our life in ministry. We've lived in four different countries, ministered in nearly 30 different countries, and traveled to some of those many multiple of times. And so as you could perhaps imagine, we've gone through passport control quite a lot of times. <laughs> Waited in some fairly lengthy lines, which we call queues in the UK. And we have documents processed and questions asked and some of the places that we've lived and traveled to, uh, we can't be open about exactly who we are and what it is that we're doing. And so sometimes that creates a bit of stress when we go through these, uh, these lines and the agent wants to know what we're, what we're on about. There are stories around that, but I'll skip those for now. We have always made it through into the countries we've been trying to get to. Our family are dual citizens, so we have US and UK passports, which means whenever we travel, we've got to carry six passports with us and make sure we enter the right country on the right passport and make sure that we renew the right one at the right time, which reminds me that we have to renew our daughter's passport right when we get back to the UK, so I don't want to forget that. And I do think actually passports are a resource in God's kingdom. God uses the places that we are from to be a blessing to the nations that we go to, but to be honest, I would be happy to just do away <laughs> with this whole system of passport control and waiting in lines. Eternity, when it comes, new heavens and the new earth, the one kingdom under the one king of kings, I think we'll finally have that. We'll have free access under his one rule and we'll all be citizens together. But for now, that system's not going anywhere anytime soon. And so it continues to be a part of our life. Borders are getting tighter, visas are trickier, there's concerns about nationalism and immigration and all these kinds of things. And so in light of that, in light of the fact that these systems aren't going anywhere anytime soon, what can we experience and express of heaven while we're here on earth? I think Luke 2 gives us some great signposts about pursuing the idea of on earth as it is in heaven. We prayed this just now, didn't we? Do we pray it only, or do we desire to participate in that reality as well? So I think this morning's passage is going to give us some good ideas of what that could look like in our own lives. Engaging in, in overseas missions, sometimes it might be tempting to think of us as little more than timeshare salesmen. It's kind of a sense of, well, we want to get you signed up so that you can reserve your spot in the heavenly mansion that you'll eventually get to use somewhere <laughs> down the road. But what we're actually about and what we should all be about is inviting people into a reality, into a relationship here and now. 
And that's what we're going to get to explore through Luke 2. We've got two sets of eyes. We've got a young family, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. And then we've got an older single man. And we're going to get to look at their perspective and their practice and glean some things that could inform our own life in this place. We're shortly after Jesus' birth, which really is the epitome of heaven on earth. God himself in the incarnation coming down, being among us, being with us as one of us, full of his grace and truth and love and power. And those that encountered him, even as a baby, they had their hearts and thoughts pointed toward eternity, even while they were very much in the here and now. That's a good perspective for us as well. And so let's see how our own perspective and practice can be shaped through these people. There's going to be a lot. I'm going to warn you, this is a 10-point sermon, which my preaching professor would not be happy with. But this is what we've got here in the text this morning. But I'm not going to ask you to remember all 10. But find the one that God is inviting you into in this season of your life, in the midst of your current opportunities, that you can say, here's where I can bring a little bit of heaven to earth. Let's look at Luke chapter 2. We're going to read verses 22 to 24. And then later on, we'll continue on through verse 35. Luke 2.22 says, When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, that is Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves or two young pigeons. Looking first at verses 22 and 23, look at the choices that the Holy Family made in engaging ritual and in fulfilling these rites. They had a desire to be in the presence of the Lord. That's what it talks about when they go to the temple in verse 22. Not just to be in the Lord's presence in heaven, but now. Three times a year, every male in Israel was commissioned and commanded to go to Jerusalem to participate together in coming into the Lord's presence. These were the the pilgrimage feasts. And for some people, it was long and arduous and a costly journey. But there was that desire to be there in God's presence. And when they came together, they remembered, they memorialized the great deeds of the Lord. The mention there in verse 23 that says, as it is written in the law of the Lord, Every firstborn was to be consecrated. That recalls the story of the Exodus. When the firstborn of Egypt were killed in the 10th plague, at that time God said, but I'm reserving for myself the firstborn of my people. And they continued to remember that and to rehearse that and to engage in that reality time and again as they gathered together for worship, celebrating this truth always. We might think of heaven as a never-ending worship service or a party for the Lord, but that celebration, that commemoration should be happening now through the Lord's Supper, through baptism, through those those own rites and rituals that, that we engage with, but also through our regular worship, through our prayer, through our study of the Bible, through our conversation with one another as we rehearse together the great deeds of God as he has acted in heaven and in our midst in the past, and in our lives even now. And so the first thing, practice being in God's presence now. Engage in worship as we rehearse his character and deeds. That's one way we can bring heaven to earth. There in verse 24 as well, 
we have the reminder to, to know God's words. They knew God's words, as it said. And we'll see again that Simeon knew God's words. God has made commands, and they were intent on keeping them, on living life according to his principles for his honor and glory. They were committed to living a sacrificial life. It says that they sacrificed, that mentions doves and pigeons, and that's really a sign of their poverty. Showed that they couldn't afford a lamb. They couldn't afford a lamb, which would have been kind of the perfect sacrifice. But no matter, they still had something to offer to the Lord. They still followed his words, his commands, his expectations for their lives. However meager maybe it seemed that their resources were. They knew God's words, and they responded, even sacrificially. Verses, across verses 22 to 24, we see that they engaged as a family. They did all of this worship, all of this knowing and fulfilling of God's words collectively. They did it together. We'll see that again at the end of Luke chapter 2, which is when Jesus is 12 years old, and the family again travels to Jerusalem together. The temple itself, the setting for our passage here, is a place of community. It's a place of gathering. They don't keep themselves isolated in their journey of faith, in their journey of relationship with the Lord. After all, heaven is going to be a place filled with people from every tribe and tongue and nation. To be honest, as an introvert, that sounds a little more like a nightmare than paradise. <laughs> I recall when we moved to China, we landed in the Beijing airport, and we took the tram from the plane into the terminal. And I'm not particularly tall, but I'm taller perhaps than, than the average Chinese person. And so I had a pretty good view of the mass of people that we had just entered into. So many people gathered together. In fact, the whole time, we lived in a very large city, 13 million people um, while we were there. And it, it, both my wife and I are introverts, so at times it's a little bit overwhelming. We tended not to go out on the weekends at all. We just kind of stayed inside. It was like, there's just so many people. But as overwhelming maybe as it might feel, those crowds were not meant to be loners in this journey, this expression of our faith but to do it in community. That's why the book of Hebrews reminds us, don't give up gathering together. We need that. That is to be intrinsic to who we are as God's people and how we engage in knowing and fulfilling his words and in worship. So engage your life of faith as part of community. Participate in that community. I published two books, about 400 pages in length, and basically I took all those pages to say one thing. Participate. Engage together in this life of faith. So Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, we can see that, that call to worship, to rehearse the call, the characteristics of God, to be in his presence. We see to know God's words, to respond to his commands sacrificially. And we have this encouragement to participate together in community. Let's look now at Simeon and see how our own perspective and practice might be shaped through his life. We'll look at verses 25 to 35. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, 
Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Looking first at Simeon in verse 25, scripture tells us he was righteous and devout, but he was waiting. That means that while he was looking ahead, he was still engaged. He was still doing the things of God. He was not idle. He was not pie in the sky. But he was here even as his hopes were there. One thing that we've gotten to know while being in the UK, uh, we've lived there for 11 years. Uh, we were nine years in Wales and two years in England, is British people as a whole are so patient. They are known to have perfected the art of queuing of waiting in line. So much so that it's said that if there's only one British person, they will still, by themselves, form an orderly queue. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. Last year at the Queen's passing, there was a five mile long line to see her lying in state. And it was orderly. And they all worked through it together. Well, for us, the call is not just to stand in line, not just to be around waiting, but to wait actively. So there's a question, what can I do to make use of my moments? What can I do to bring a little bit of blessing to someone around me? A smile, a polite word, a bit of truth, a bit of practical help. Even while I'm waiting in the line at the bank or the grocery store, how can I be fully present now, engaging with those around me, rather than waiting idly for the fulfillment of God's bigger plans? So we have the encouragement to Wait actively. Looking across verses 25 to 27, we see several mentions of the Holy Spirit. It said the Holy Spirit was on Simeon. It said that the Holy Spirit had revealed things to him. And it said that Simeon was moved by the Holy Spirit. And we talked about Jesus' incarnation as being the expression, the epitome of heaven on earth. Well, we don't have Jesus in physical form with us like they did in the first century. But we do have the Holy Spirit. We do have God's abiding presence with us. In a sense, we become the incarnation of God in this world. We're described as his ambassadors, his representatives, his mediators, his imitators. We become a bit of heaven on earth. We become his hands and feet. He's taken up residence inside of us, and now we can become the point of physical contact so that others can engage with God that we can express his love in tangible ways, ways that others can see and hear and feel, and so come to understand a bit of the Lord's presence and blessing and truth as we act with everyone, interact with everyone around us, both fellow Christians and those that don't yet know him. And so we have this encouragement to mediate God's presence to others in service and love and truth. Coming up to number six, if you're keeping track. Number six, in verse 27, it's go where God leads. 
says that Simeon was moved by the Holy Spirit. You know, there is a grand trajectory to, to our lives. We are moving towards eternity with God. But there's the opportunity daily to walk with him, to go where he leads, to respond to his calling. The scriptures in Galatians 5 talk about keeping in step with his spirit. God is moving now, and we're called to move with him, to go along with him, to engage and act in the ways that he has for us. So where is he sending you? Whose path does he want you to cross? It really can be an amazing set of experiences when you engage in that, when you go where he's leading you, when you see who he wants you to come across paths with. We've had crazy random experiences in international airports, running into people that we knew from other countries or meeting people that know people that we know, things that we never could have orchestrated or brought about, and yet we see God bringing us into one another's lives, sometimes even just for a moment, but a moment that can be rich with a word of encouragement or truth or blessing or love or service. Now, he may not be calling you to move internationally. And again, he might. Our first team, when we were in Istanbul, Turkey, our teammates were in their 70s. So it's not too late. You can't use age as an excuse. <laughs> if I can't use it as an excuse, neither can you. But he is calling you, nevertheless, to go somewhere, next door, across the street, into the community. Just like he called Abraham, and we heard about Genesis 12 earlier in this series. He said, go, I'll bless you, and you will be a blessing to others. And so as God works his purposes in us, it, he also works his purposes through us for the blessing of others. Sometimes it may be worth taking the long way home so that you can stop by and see somebody who's in need of a bit of encouragement or a bit of help. Sometimes it might actually be worth choosing the longer line to wait in because that'll give you one extra minute to be a bit of blessing to the person that you'll be standing next to in the queue. Go where God leads. Number seven, verse 28, we see a great act from Simeon in bringing others into blessing and praise. Again, thinking about that commissioning of Abraham, there's a sense of, a sense of blessing. And uh, the NIV here in verse 28 says that Simeon praised God. Other translations say blessed God. They're, they're both going to work very well for us. Once God put Simeon in the path of Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, he became a channel of blessing into their lives. God's kingdom will be a place of blessing. Blessing was such an important part of the priestly ministry. And as God's people, we are a kingdom of priests. And so we should be agents of blessing to one another, both those in and outside of the church. That means we should be contributing to and encouraging the spiritual, mental, physical, relational well-being and thriving of those around us as we demonstrate the Father's heart for love and care for his people. But praise also works just as well, as it mentions that Simeon praised God. We know we'll praise God for all of eternity. And I love the image of the 24 elders seated around the throne of the Lamb in Revelation chapter 4, who bow down and praise to him. And a friend of mine, when I was in college, had this great image. He kind of imagined you've got these 24 elders. They bow down and praise. And then they come back up again. And then they remember another characteristic of the Lord. And so they bow down and praise again. And then they come back and then they remember yet another characteristic of the Lord, and they bow down and praise again and again and again for all eternity as they explore the depths and the riches and the, and the majesty of our great God. And so there's an invitation for us to praise and to bring others along into that dynamic of praise. And Simeon initiates that praise with the family here. 
we know we have a very concrete opportunity to bring children along into that dynamic. And I love the time for young disciples. That is such a rich part of the, of the um, worship here at Good Shepherd. We know that it's so crucial that we don't hinder children from coming to Jesus, but all the more that we actually facilitate that, not just that we don't get in the way, but that we do all that we can to facilitate the next generation. And I think that's a danger point that we can get away from. Um, sometimes, and we've experienced this in some of the countries that we've been to, there's a sense of, no, 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 I don't want to force my religion on the next generation. We're going to let them find their own way and make their own choices. And as a result, some of the spiritual heritage is being lost in places that have had the church for more than a thousand years. And so let me encourage you, bring others along, children, grandchildren, neighbors, other members of the community, into this dynamic of praise. All right, number eight, looking at verse 29, Simeon declares, as you have promised, look for God's promises and his provision. Look for God to keep his promises, to make good on them, to demonstrate his faithfulness. We know that ultimate fulfillment is coming, but he is at work even now. Do we know his word well enough that we'd even be able to see that God is doing things in our midst, that he is showing his faithfulness? Can we perceive that? Because those are so important. When we do that, we build a testimony that fuels our own faith and becomes a bulwark for those around us as we can testify and say, look, I've seen what God is doing. He said he was going to do something, and he is. He's about that even now. Our family keeps a thankfulness journal. And about weekly, usually on Saturday morning, um, we spend some time just rehearsing together. What did God do in this last week? We used to try to do it once a month, but we're too forgetful. Remember, we're in our 40s. And so we were like, what did God do three weeks ago? No idea. I can't remember. So we had to go weekly. And we don't make it every week. But, but just an opportunity to say, what, what did God do this week? How did he answer our prayers? How did he do things that we didn't even ask him to do? But just as an overflow of who he is, he was at work in our lives so that we don't lose that. And we can say, look, he has fulfilled promises. And then that fuels these other things of praise and an opportunity to share his presence with others. Number nine, looking at verse 33, the parents marveled. Now, I'm not talking about superhero films as much as I enjoy that, marveling. But this idea of letting yourself get caught up in God. You know, we use the word awesome so much that perhaps it becomes flippant or we sing songs that say, how wonderful, how marvelous. But do we actually think and wrestle with this idea of how wonderful God actually is? Do we actually marvel? It's one of the blessings of Christian art is to be visually confronted with some of the depths and the majesty of who God is. You know, the worship spaces of previous generations and previous centuries were intent on communicating the awe of God, even to those who couldn't read it for themselves in his word. While we lived in Wales, we had the privilege of being part of a very ancient church. It was a 900-year-old stone church built by the Normans, and it had stone pillars and stained glass and frescoes and memorial plaques, elaborate altarpieces. It was an environment that was rich with this opportunity to bring us into God's presence. Although I'll admit, sometimes the incense got a little bit much. Otherwise, I really enjoyed Now that we live in Bristol, England, our church meets in a school hall. It's not quite the same experience. 
It's still the gathering of God's people. That's good. That hasn't changed. But there is something about the environment that feels a little bit different. But just to encourage us to expose ourselves to the sights, sounds, smells, and environment that will help us get beyond maybe some of the drudgery here. I love that the children are going to be learning about creativity, giving us an expansive vision for who God is and what he's about and how to communicate that to other people so that we give them a little bit of a taste of what it's like to get beyond just our immediate circumstances. We will marvel for all eternity. We're encouraged to fear the Lord, not to be afraid of him, but to be in that state of awe and enjoyment of who he is that then overflows in worship. All right, finally, number 10. We made it all the way through. As we consider our work of bringing heaven to earth, proclaim Jesus. After all, this is what all of history is about, Jesus Christ removing every barrier to relationship, dealing with our sins so that we can have unhindered communion with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the salvation that's mentioned in verse 30, that salvation which is to be broadcast and made public to all people of all nations everywhere. But it's hard. It's a message that's unpopular. It's a message that's resisted. We have friends who have literally been martyred for their faith. Simeon says that Mary herself will suffer A mother will watch her child be tortured and die as we talk about this gospel. There's a reality of suffering in the world. There's a reality of suffering in this gospel that we proclaim as as we look at the saving death and the glorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus. There's suffering, but there's future hope and redemption. There's suffering now, but future glory. Suffering now, but for a purpose as we engage the plan of God for the blessing of the world. Jesus told us, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You're bringing, to heaven, you're bringing heaven to earth when you engage in this hard labor of proclaiming Jesus, when you share the message as hard as it may be, as vigorously as it may be resisted. That's our calling, perhaps to have an experience of some light and momentary troubles now, that prepares a future weight of glory for us and for those that we get to cross paths with as we bring them into this relationship with the Lord. So I hope maybe you've seen in these 14 verses, these 10 points, lots of opportunity to bring heaven to earth in the midst of our circumstances. And so I just ask you, which which one do you need to adopt a little bit more in this current season of life? Is it to worship? Is it to enter God's presence? Is it to celebrate and memorialize his deeds in our midst? Is it to know God's word, to respond to that word, perhaps even sacrificially? Is it to participate in community, family, friends, neighbors, children, grandchildren, colleagues, here in the church, to participate in community? Is it to wait actively to figure out, how can I use those moments to be an agent of blessing As number five, we mediate his presence to others and be his tangible expression here in this world at this time. Is it to be responsive to see where is he leading me and then in faith and courage to go? Is it to bring others into blessing and praise? To have that in your mind to say, yep, I know God is at work as we look for his promises and the fulfillment of them. Is it just to spend time marveling at him, having a sense of 
the grandeur of who he is and what he's done to engage in that love relationship with him? Or is it to proclaim Jesus amidst the difficulties that we may face? We have all these opportunities that the world may know. They may know God here and now on earth as he is and as he will be in heaven forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Amen.